You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my always lovely other half, Dr. Jess. How you doing? I'm great. Today we are, we're talking boners. Love me a good boner. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I love a good boner. <laughs> Sometimes I can live without it. Uh, yeah, we're talking erections, and we're going to be answering a listener question that is a little bit similar to last week's, but from the side of the person with the penis. And of course, there's no one better to weigh in on erections than our guest today, urologist Dr. Denise Asafu Ajay, the incoming director of male reproductive medicine at Loyola University in Chicago. Uh, her resume is too impressive. <laughs> she went from Carnegie Mellon to the University of Michigan to Harvard to Columbia to UCLA, and she's going to help us better understand erections, erectile dysfunction, and discuss some preventative measures since erections tend to subside with age. And of course, you don't need a raging boner. Like I joke about taking it or leaving it, but the reality is there are so many ways to enjoy pleasure and sex without a boner as well. Yeah, I agree. And I I couldn't agree more that that CV, I mean, there's no one better to talk about this than Dr. Denise. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we won't say boner doctor because it's much, much more than that. Her specialties are run quite deep, including male fertility. So uh, really looking forward to that conversation. And before she joins us, I have a couple of notes for you, including a giveaway. So I got a couple of notes this week from folks who have been writing reviews on the podcast because of an old promo we were running. So I wanted to offer something in return and kind of just, I guess, run another contest. So I'm going to mention the WeVibe Touch has long been my personal favorite toy. So actually, there's one sitting in front of me, and that's a total coincidence. Of course, there's a sex no, toy sitting in front of us it on actually, the desk. It actually is a coincidence that this uh, toy is sitting here. So the WeVibe Touch fits in the palm of your hand. It looks like a computer mouse, but skinnier. It curves beautifully along the lip and it has a gorgeous rounded tip you know that's perfect for more pinpointed pleasure down at the bottom of la fourchette or up at the top near the head of the clitoris so I think everybody here knows where the head of the clitoris is but an off neglected region of the vulva is la fourchette so la fourchette en français in French fourchette means fork so it's the fork in the road where the lips meet at the bottom and I call it the lower clitoris although it's not a part of the clitoris it can be really sensitive and the WeVibe touch is definitely perfect for not only pinpointing La Fourchette, but also wrapping around the vulva so beautifully. And I I just, I love this toy. I've had mine for what feels like a decade. I don't think it's been a decade because the brand has only been around 11 years, but it's, and uh, this wasn't their first toy. Anyhow, I'm giving away the original WeVibe Touch. And the way you can enter is write a review on the podcast on any platform. I think iTunes is is oftentimes the easiest, but it's up to you. Uh, And if you don't want to write a review, you can also share on social and tag and just leave a link. And once you've entered, the way you're going to officially enter is just send a quick email to info at sexwithdrjess.com or go to the website and submit via contact form. So info at sexwithdrjess.com and we'll enter you in a random drop. We're going to pick the winner on August 3rd and announce and we'll let you know on August 3rd but then we'll formally announce to y'all on August 6th on the podcast. So I'm, I'm learning how to do this properly because last time I was like here's a contest and I didn't have a an end date or anything like that. So write a review or do a social media shout out endorsing or I mean saying anything you want I guess about the podcast. I don't want to force you to endorse it and you will be 
entered to win the WeVibe Touch, which is a really cool toy. And I should mention that all the WeVibe toys and many, many more toys, every brand under the sun pretty much, are available at Love Honey, one of our sponsors, and they are having really a deep, deep sale right now. Like I was checking out some of their toys and many of them are 50% off some of their G-Spot vibes, some of their butt plugs, some of their prostate toys. So if you head to lovehoney.com, lovehoney.ca, it'll all take you to the same place. You can check out their sale this week, really, really, really deep discounts, and you can save a little bit extra with code Dr. Jess. 10 so an extra 10% off so I was looking at this one rabbit vibe and uh, it was already 50% off and I double checked the code Dr. Just 10 gives you another 10% so deep deep discounts from our friends at Love Honey all right let's dive into the topic at hand with our esteemed guest Joining us now is Dr. Denise Asafu Ajay, who is starting as the Director of Male Reproductive Medicine at Loyola University in Chicago just in a, in a couple of months, you're making a move across the country. How long have you been on the West Coast? Just about a year, actually. I, I was um, completing my fellowship here at UCLA, so it was year long. So um, not too long here on the beaches of the West Coast. Now I'm back to the Midwest. Yeah, well, thank you so, so much for joining us from way, way across the continent. Really appreciate it. How did you get into your work as a male reproductive medical specialist? During residency, I um, really quickly knew that I was interested in something that really focused on preserving quality of life. There's lots of different subspecialties within urology. And I think for me, I was just like, you know, so many people, so many areas of medicine kind of focus on, you know, you're sick, what are we going to do? But so many people are actually really concerned about their quality of life and your sex life is a big quality of life issue. And so uh, the subspecialty of andrology, which actually encompasses male fertility and male kind of sexual function. That is the area that I want to focus in on because you're helping people to have better sex lives and to make babies. And that's probably like the best things that you can do for people in my opinion. So that's what really attracted me to that subspecialty. And so after residency, I decided to do even more focused subspecialty training within that area. And so I am more specially trained within the medical and surgical management of issues pertaining to sexual dysfunction, male infertility, but it was really the quality of life that um, really attracted me to this particular field. I really appreciate your saying that because it really, sex is not just about pleasure. It's not just about connection. It is so key to overall life satisfaction. And again, that doesn't mean everyone has to be having all the sex, whether you're asexual, whether you are in a partnership, whether you're having sex with yourself or multiple people, uh, just being comfortable in your own skin is so important. And to have medical professionals, doctors, surgeons like you who actually value that, sadly, is a little bit rare. So we're lucky to have you. Uh, we have some questions from some of our listeners and you're here to help. I want to start with somebody who says, I'm just going to read you their question in their own words. I've been having difficulty maintaining an erection, especially during penis in vagina intercourse. I love the language my listeners use. Okay. When my girlfriend gives me oral, I'm usually okay, but with P in V, it goes down. And what sometimes happens is that I will be so turned on while not fully hard that sometimes I will eject ejaculate either prematurely or ejaculate when not fully hard. Is it in my head? Is it something physical? Uh, the thing is that I know I can have a full erection as it happens when I masturbate. And when I wake up sometimes in the morning, I have an erection. I'm really lost and anxious. Please help. And then they add, it happens in my head all 
the time and my girlfriend keeps telling me to stop thinking, what can I do? Well, it sounds like, um, you know, your listener, I really appreciate the question. It sounds like he has a little bit of insight into what is causing that. I um, you know, when I'm looking at my patients and saying, okay, um, where does the issue lie? It's actually really encouraging that he's saying that, hey, I can get a full erection when I'm masturbating or in different settings, but this particular setting, my erection is going down. So it gives me some confidence that, you know, the pipes are working. We just have to get them to work at the right time. You know, anxiety and nervousness pertaining to sex is totally normal, right? Especially if you have someone you are super attracted to, you know, maybe even a new partner. But what your body is doing is saying, I'm so nervous. I'm so anxious and it actually activates that part of your nervous system that actually is terrible for erection. So when you think about your fight or flight response, when you are trying to run from something or again, some emergent situation, that is not the time that your body wants to have sex. And so when you are anxious, it's activating that same system. And so what that's doing is actually completely eradicating your erection. So I think to their point, a part of it is, I don't like to in your head, but a lot of it can just be I'm psychological in that um, when you are activating that system, that response system, your sympathetics, we call your sympathetic nervous system. It's saying we don't want an erection right now. So we have to try to maximize our settings so that we are not feeling anxious. Totally easier said than done. I would certainly say I like to be a minimalist and I don't think necessarily starting off with medication all the time is helpful, but you know, certainly if you have a supportive partner and I'm um, someone who can kind of go through this journey with you, that's always really helpful, right? So if you have a partner who's like, hey, I get it. I love you. Let's just, you know, work on this. But I think I'm really trying to figure out what are the optimal ways to enhance that pleasure where you don't feel nervous. You know, do we need to concentrate more on foreplay so that you ease that anxiety before things start? There are also physical and like, you know, real causes, um, you know, that can cause one to lose their erection as well. So I think after optimizing kind of behavioral modifications around figuring out what worked for you and your partner, we do think about the physical causes, um, you know, premature ejaculation or using or losing the erection in certain settings are also early signs of, you know, erectile dysfunction. And that we really explore with thinking about, are your testosterone levels normal? Do you have good vessels? You know, do you have bad hypertension, diabetes, all things that affect your blood vessels and can cause your erections to also be suboptimal. So in summary, for our viewer, I would say um, I would really, um, you know, focus on thinking about what is it in those other settings that make you not so anxious and how can we bring that to the penetrative intercourse setting. And then if you've kind of gone through that, I would really encourage you to seek out a local urologist to think about, okay, let's make sure we can rule out any organic causes so that you're not chasing your tail in the event that there is something that we could actually like treat and address. The fact that he can get a full erection either while masturbating or when they wake up in the morning, does that rule out those vascular issues or no, he should still see a physician? I would still see a physician because it could be early signs of it um, as opposed to him not having it in any setting. If it's just certain settings that it's happening, these could be kind of early signs that it's, you know, coming on and, you know, perhaps we can prevent that from worsening. Lifestyle issues outside of just, you know, your dynamics with your partner, exercising, eating, right, healthy life. So those are all classically really, really helpful for, you know, your erectile quality. So I think I would still definitely explore it early on so that we don't get to the point of no return, so to speak. Yeah. So what about um, somebody who isn't getting erections when they wake up, who is always having trouble getting an erection and is finding that they're ejaculating before they get hard, before they get fully hard? What would you look at then? 
So that I would definitely be more inclined to look at kind of physical causes, um, because if you're not getting it across settings, that to me is saying that, you know, this is more of an issue. This is not just, you know, in your head. This is likely an organic cause. So that is when I'd be looking to see um, what are other kind of corollary signs that you're you know, your blood vessels are not so great, pre-diabetes, you know, hypertension, looking at your lifestyle issues, even looking at your sleep patterns, right? Um, you know, actually really poor sleep patterns also have an impact on your hormone production. And, you know, you need, you know, good levels of, you know, testosterone, normal levels to also, you know, get and maintain good erection. So I think definitely to me that something else is going on. And so I would definitely explore that further. And for vascular issues or issues that have to do with circulation, do you work with things like penis rings? Can that help for some patients? Not that they should not see their doctor and also check for other issues, but is that something that you work with? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, um, penis rings are really great, actually. And I think that, um, you know, of course, on the internet, there are so many things that you can find on a Google search, but penis rings are actually really, really good, especially for men who find that they are having issues maintaining that erection. So some guys can get the erection. They can't, um, they're looking to prolong it. What those physical rings do is that it helps to keep blood within the penis. And so if you are able to actually achieve an erection, you can help prolong it by basically physically trapping, you know, blood within your um, penis. If you have other kind of more troublesome issues around erectile dysfunction, it doesn't directly help with, let's say, premature ejaculation. Um, you know, it can certainly help, but I think that all of these can kind of work together. So your behavioral changes, the penis rings work really well in prolonging the erection may not be as helpful if you can't achieve it, but once it's there, you can keep it going. So that's certainly something that I regularly recommend, but it's particularly helpful in guys who find that, hey, I can get it, but I can't really maintain it. And for those who are struggling with that negative feedback loop and that you know, enacting of the fight or flight response. Cognitive behavioral therapy can help with that anxiety. Do you work also maybe with mindfulness and uh, mindfulness meditation and what we used to call it sensate focus, but it's basically just like slowing down, tuning into your body, not touching your penis, not focusing on just getting it hard. Is that something you see in your practice? Yes, very much so. And I think that's probably really underutilized when we're talking about sexual dysfunction. You know, I would certainly say, um, you know, during my fellowship training, I really, really appreciated the fact that um, we were really big on having a fairly low threshold to recommend, you know, sexual therapy, because, you know, again, if we're thinking about having all these adjuncts to help one issue, it's certainly not going to hurt anything. But if people want to move in more of a stepwise fashion, like, let me find out what's happening. But it's just like with therapy across all settings, right? It's just, it can only really help, um, you know, if anything, but it's certainly not going to hurt or make things worse. So I think that that is certainly something should really be more emphasized than I, I've seen it used currently. Okay. So let's talk about erectile dysfunction. Because there's a difference between just, you know, losing your erection sometimes and clinically diagnosable dysfunction. So what is erectile dysfunction? How common is it? Oh, God. So erectile dysfunction is actually one of the most common medical conditions. So like over 50% of men over 50 have erectile dysfunction. And it's also very common among young men as well. Like I've seen, you know, guys coming in their 20s, you know, their 30s. It's not just a, a disease of old men. And I think people are starting to appreciate that a lot more, especially younger guys who I think feel like they have a lot of lead time before that happens. It's just like, it can happen sometimes transient or temporary in the case of being anxious 
this new partner or new setting, but sometimes it can actually be early signs of other physical issues that are causing you to have that. So erectile dysfunction is just the inability to either, you know, achieve or, you know, maintain an erection that's bothersome to the patient, to the person at hand. So that's kind of the clinical definition, but um, there's so many different causes of it, but it's really, really common. And I think, you know, we kind of talked previously about quality of life. I think uh, people are a lot more inclined to be concerned about your hypertension than they are about your erectile dysfunction, but it actually is um, what we call a gateway disease, meaning with erectile dysfunction, you need all these things to be working, right? Your blood vessels, your good healthy and all this. So when things are not working, it's actually a sign that there's something else awry. And there's lots of guys who you may not see them for anything else, but they'll come in for the erectile dysfunction. And we actually end up really finding a lot of other important medical issues in addition to their erectile dysfunction. So it's kind of like a, a red herring for us. So can you tell us a little bit about that? What are some of the causes of erectile dysfunction and what are the comorbidities that you might be able to see? As you said, it's a red herring. So what might it be a sign of? The most common cause of erectile dysfunction are going to be your vascular issues, meaning, um, you know, to have a good erection, you need good blood vessels to get blood to your penis. You need good blood vessels to keep it there. Your kind of classic and most common um, causes of vascular issues um, today are going to be your diabetes, hypertension, but pretty anything that messes with your circulation, you know, peripheral vascular diseases, anything that can um, compromise the quality of your um, vessels are going to hurt your erections. But diabetes and hypertension are really kind of the most common ones. And in a small subset of those patients, the inability to kind of, you know, maintain your erection, that means that your um, blood vessels are not doing a good job of kind of trapping the blood there. That's kind of another subset of the big group of vascular issues. So your vessels can either be like the arteries, meaning the blood coming to your penis, your um, veins are what's actually helping to prolong that erection and keep blood within the penis. And so they're kind of two subsets within vascular issues, but then the most kind of common causes are going to be like diabetes and hypertension. Other big causes of erectile dysfunction are neurological issues. Diabetes also comes into play because diabetes also can affect that. But other people that have maybe a prior history of some kind of accident, you know, a stroke or some kind of spinal cord injury, those are kind of the um, neurological causes of erectile dysfunction because you also have nerves at play that are helping you to feel that sensation, get that erection and kind of complete that loop of what's happening when you get an erection and then when you go on to ejaculate. There's lots of medications that can also cause issues with erectile dysfunction. Several classes of antidepressants actually can cause erectile dysfunction. And so your mental well-being is, is really important. And, you know, that's something that, again, we also work around. So that's one thing when, you know, I'm seeing somebody, we're taking a really thorough history as to what they are taking, just to make sure that, you know, again, we're not chasing our tails with something that we know is actually causing this. And then, you know, another big category, the um, psychological, that's actually also really common, but I would say, and most people, that are working up erectile dysfunction, that really is kind of a diagnosis of exclusion. So I would say even for someone who it seems pretty obvious, potentially that that could be it, you still really want to make sure that you are ruling out kind of other causes of erectile dysfunction. But those are the the big buckets, I would say. So I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about vascular health and hypertension. So hypertension is something that runs in my family. It's, you know, has to do with my, my background. I don't have it. I think I'm like the only one, but all of my mother and her sister is hypertension a mix of physical and psychological? So like if part of it is genetics, if part of it is your diet, if 
part of it is your sleep, if part of it is your lifestyle, is a part of it also what's going on in your head? When we talk about just classic hypertension, you know, that is truly elevated blood pressure that, um, you know, is just kind of above what it should be. You know, I will say that we really also, I think as a society, underestimate the impact of stress on that. And so I think psychological and or, you know, kind of other external factors on top of the genetics and the physical of what we're measuring really does contribute to that. If you are having, you know, even like panic attack, your blood pressure is going up, um, you're sweating, you're nervous, that will cause your blood pressure to go up. So I think on top of other kind of lifestyle issues, really thinking about minimizing stressors, which is easier said than done in most cases. Right. Internal stressors can really, really impact your ability to control some of these other things. So I think it is a combination of the behavior changes, but then also, you know, seeking out a medical professional that can really help keep it at bay. And then what about vascular health? So that came up right from the beginning. Obviously, it's absolutely essential to blood flow to the penis and to the clitoris for erections, which I'd like to talk about as well. What can we do to improve our vascular health, whether we're having erections that we're really happy with or perhaps we're not so happy with and whether folks are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond? So exercise and diet are really probably the most important things that you can do for your body to, um, you know, help prevent um, either the onset of vascular issues or the worsening of it. When you exercise, um, you are actually really kind of testing your blood vessels, improving blood flow and um, a good diet, you know? So I would say in terms of a good diet, I'm not really a believer in extremes. You know, you don't need to go and become like a vegetarian, not that there's anything wrong with that, but actually a good plant-based diet where you are diversifying your intake a little bit. So, you know, having a good portion of your fruits and vegetables and not just 24 hour steak diet, you know, that's certainly gonna... do volumes for your erections and your health long-term. And the reason is it's not that every time you're eating a steak, it's directly affecting your erections. It's the cascade effect of everything else. And so you have a poor diet that's then gonna, you know, worsen your cardiovascular health. Your cardiovascular health is directly linked to the vessels that are feeding your penis. So so everything is really interconnected. And so I'd say for the um, vascular issues, best thing you can do for yourself is actually just take care of yourself, weight loss, exercise, good diet. And that actually helps um, tremendously, even on top of any medical therapy, you know, we could be doing if you're really dedicated and focused, a lot of people will see improvements in that just from their own kind of proactive lifestyle changes. Are there any foods that are good for circulation or vascular health? So plant-based diet is something that has been studied in terms of something that really does help with, you know, erections or increasing the amount of fruit and vegetables in the diet. There really aren't any great foods out there that I'm like, hey, this is really going to, you know, help make sure you're having, you know, good water intake. But um, I would just say plant-based diet is something that has really been studied as something that helps with just healthy lifestyles in general, but particularly around erectile, um, you know, dysfunction that has, you know, at least slightly good data (laughs) around that. But no, like foods I can say that are, hey, like this will certainly like help to keep you in good shape. But um, I would try to minimize like red meats, junk foods and things like that. All right. Now we also have to talk about meds. So you you know, you're, you're talking about lifestyle, you're talking about cognitive behavioral therapy, you're talking about minimizing anxieties, and all of these things are very important. You're also talking about penis rings and overall health. What about medications? When is medication indicated? And what are you prescribing for erectile dysfunction? And of course, I know you're not giving anybody listening a prescription, but what is out there? And how do we know? Like, the question I get on Instagram all the time is, how do I know if it's psychological or medical? And you sort of answered that, you know, if it's psychological, it's a bit of a diagnosis of exclusion. You want to rule out these other possibilities. But uh, 
you know, what are you doing in office to figure that out or in clinic? And one thing I had kind of slightly mentioned, and even as kind of another category that I didn't include, one of the big things we have to rule out are um, low testosterone issues. And so, um, you know, testosterone is a really has a huge impact on the quality of your erections. And so when we're thinking about organic causes, it's actually even in our kind of society guidelines, we have to rule out that low testosterone, you know, isn't at play. Starting medications are really kind of doctor-patient discussion. I do have some patients who don't want to take any medications, right? which is okay. I think our job here is not to necessarily throw, you know, a prescription at them, which, you know, good evidence. And I'll talk a little bit about the medications we use, but the information is there. We know that it works. I think I have some people that are a little bit more motivated to start with the behavioral modifications to see if there's an effect before they, you know, start taking a medication. There really isn't a, a right or wrong answer. I will say probably for the 70 year old person that has diabetes, hypertension, and heart failure, and a multitude of issues, lifestyle alone is probably not going to be the thing that puts them over the edge. But for my younger guys who really have no other major identifiable medical issues where we can kind of catch this before it gets worse, they're probably going to seek more benefit. But at any point along the spectrum of where you are, lifestyle changes are going to help. With medication, I think if it's bothersome enough to somebody where they're saying, hey, I've tried everything, this is impacting my quality of life, I think that's usually when that button is turned like, hey, I need something more. I think a lot of guys are fairly resistant to it. Erections are really associated with this um, sense of manliness and whether or not partners or society has contributed to it, but it can be troublesome to even start a medication because then you're admitting I have a problem or I have something that's uh, defunct that wasn't always the case. And so it's really sensitive discussions around it. But I, I do think that if one, we've identified organic causes like, hey, you have your pre-diabetic or your blood pressure is through the roof. We know that there's some underlying issue, you know, at play. And I think it has to be addressed. Really the classic category of medications for erectile dysfunctions are what we call um, PDE5 inhibitors, phosphodiesterase um, inhibitors. And um, that basically plays on a part of the um, cascade of molecules that are at play when you have an erection. And so it helps to prolong that. Everyone has seen a Viagra commercial, I think, in 2021 at this point. Viagra is part of that class of medications, as is Cialis. You know, Levitra is another medication that's also falls into that category. And these are things that um, we commonly um, start. Our guidelines actually changed within the last year or two. And I'd say most people will start off with medications. And then there's some other things that we can do that are increasingly more invasive to address erectile dysfunction, but certainly to start off with medications. It's a pill that you take. Cialis, that particular medication is something that you can actually take um, a low dose daily to help with erections. Viagra is a little bit more short acting and you have to take that right before sex with, you know, some caveats again, if that's something that you have to do, certainly your urologist should be guiding you into like the proper administration of these medications, but um, everything works differently for people. You know, some guys may try one, it works great. Or even though they're all within the same drug class, some work better than others. So I would say most urologists would at least try at least two drugs within that medication class before we think about anything more invasive, but they work, they work, you know, pretty well, I'd say in most guys that took that general class of medication. So it's um, something that we certainly discuss early on. Do you find that those meds work for people who are highly anxious, like who have, you know, are really, really stressed out and they've created that negative feedback loop where they're afraid they're going to lose their erection. And so that causes them to lose their erection. Can meds help in that case? 
Yeah, great question. I can actually, because I think you find that if you at least can, you know, get a few settings or, you know, a few wins where you build your confidence back up. I think if you have something that's kind of working in the background, that can really help. So yeah, that's an excellent question. And I think that's a pretty common technique that we, um, you know, discuss with our, you know, with our patients to say, hey, this can be really distressing. But if we can just have you to have a few good runs where you're just like, I got this, then I think they'll find that they may not even need it, right? You know, and I would say really for kind of the super high healthy person that otherwise there is really no obvious reason. I think that's a great way on top of kind of behavioral and, you know, adjusting relationship dynamics. That's a great way to really kind of get people back in the saddle, so to speak, and build their confidence back up. You know, something you've brought up uh, a couple of times is distress and whether or not a patient finds something bothersome. And that takes me kind of right back to the beginning with the question around, well, I ejaculate really quickly and I'm not quite hard. Something I'd, I always want to start with is, you know, how do you feel about that, right? I mean, if they're writing me, I mean, this person provided some context, it's problematic for them, but it's not inherently problematic, right? So with all of these things, like for example, and this is what brings me to the clitoris. So the clitoris also gets erections, but nobody really knows if my clitoris is erect internally. I don't even know. I might feel some pressure. You might feel that the shaft feels a little bit more bulgy through the foreskin. A partner is never going to know. And so it's just not associated with the same distress, but we've created a culture in which sex means one specific thing. And I'm not saying that that's the case in with regard to the person who wrote in, because even the language they used was so specific like they counted oral as sex, they called P and V sex something else. But I think that's another piece that, you know, a big part of our work is reframing sex to know that it's not dependent upon your erection, right? Like if it feels really good to get a little bit hard and ejaculate quickly, as opposed to prematurely, like if you ejaculate quickly and it feels good for you, and then there's something else you can do with a partner that feels really, really good using your hands or your mouth or a toy or a tongue or an elbow or whatever you've got uh, or a strap on, that may work for some people. I think that's a harder thing to overcome, right? I think that it's sometimes it feels easier to take a pill. I think it's very interesting that you're saying that your patients sort of see medication as a last resort, because I think I would have assumed that so many people just want a pill, like they want to fix it. They don't want to do mindfulness. They don't want to adjust their diet. They don't want to adjust their lifestyle. So that's interesting. I didn't understand that perspective that it's tied to virility, right? Well, if I take this pill, am I as much of a man? And I'm wondering, Brandon, like, because you've got the you've got a penis and you get erections, poke me with them sometimes, um, <laughs> what your associations are in terms of like virility and manliness and erections. Yeah, I think that the idea of not being able to have an erection would definitely challenge my, my sense of kind of, I'm using air quotes here, manhood. I think we have to work on reframing that, but it would certainly, the times where I have had moments where I get in my head, I'm notorious for getting into my own head for any reason under the sun. So I have this loop where if something does feel off, I start questioning, is something wrong? Is something wrong? Is there a bigger issue? Is there a bigger... And like going through that loop when you're having sex or being intimate with your partner is really... And then it's... You talk about this cascading effect. I've just been sitting here listening and absorbing and I'm like, yep, yep, yep. And I hear everything. So I'm kind of getting away from your question. Yeah, not getting an erection would certainly make me feel less of a, and again, I know that this isn't correct, but less of a man, I would have assumed that most people would just want to take a pill because it's a really quick fix. I love the idea of 
really analyzing what are the underlying issues and can you work through this without some of those other medications or procedures? Because I think for me, I love the idea of being able to fix the problem on my own. And then I think if I can fix a problem on my own, and I loved your comment about you just need a few wins, because I like that. I think that, that you get a couple wins under your belt. And then for me, I could think, oh, confidence up, feeling good. I got this. And then boom, and on to the next. So yeah, no, but it's, there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> and I've just been listening and learning and absorbing and nodding my head the whole time. Because, you know, Dr. Denise, there's so much to take out of this. Like there's just so much. You know, it's interesting because the last few weeks, Dr. Nisi, we've been talking about swinging and some answering some other questions, not swinging, sorry, the lifestyle and threesomes. And I also, you know, talk a lot about consensual non-monogamy. And when I did more work with swingers and would go down uh, south and do workshops, that was something that came up with a lot of the folks with penises that they're so excited for their first threesome or they're so excited for their first group experience. And they think it is going to be, you know, the most mind-blowing euphoric experience of ecstasy, and then their body doesn't respond in the way that their body usually responds, right? I thought you were going to say something else. I thought you were going to say their body responds as though they're being attacked by a bear. And Dr. Denise said, the blood flow does not happen. That's exactly it. <laughs> That's exactly it, right? The body, they're nervous, they're anxious, they're excited. And so finding that line between how much anxiety you can handle, and it's different for everybody because a lot of us, you know, we need anxiety, to be excited, to perform at our optimal. But like the degree of anxiety that I need is different than say what Brandon needs. Like I, I need a lot of challenge to be excited. Brandon doesn't need as much challenge. <laughs> no, you should say it's not that I don't need as much challenge. In an intermittent environment, I need to be relaxed. I need, I need to be totally in that mindset of just being relaxed. Whereas Jess, like you said. I, I can take it or leave it. But yet you've figured that out, Brandon. Yeah. Like, you know, you've reflected upon it and you're like, well, how do I adjust my breath? How do I ask for what I need from my partner? How do I touch myself? What kinds of touch do I like? Where do I like to be touched? Where do I like my mind to go? What fantasies can I access? All of these things, like those are just five strategies that relax you. And we haven't even started talking about lifestyle. So you might find that you're more relaxed when you turn your phone off earlier in the evening and you're not on the line with clients. You might find you're more relaxed when you set boundaries with family. You might find that you're more relaxed when you do the things to facilitate a good night's sleep. You might find that you're more relaxed when you eat a home-cooked meal versus takeout. Like all of these different things go hand in hand and you've figured that out for yourself. So those must be explorations you have with your patients to help them understand that like those things relax Brandon, that might stress someone else out. Right, right. And I think one thing I just wanted to say, I love the fact that you mentioned reframing how we think about sex, how we think about, you know, erections, because I do think that everyone has in their mind, you know, again, these mind blowing settings that they think everyone is having. And one of the first things I say is that, you know, 95% of people are not what you're going to see in a porno, right? It's just like, you are not going to have a 45 minute erection. You are not going to be swinging from the chandeliers potentially. I mean, I think really reframing that is so important. And I think um, it's very individualized, you know, I mean, you know, some couples, what are seen as being pleasurable or something that really relaxes or enhances things are so different. And so I think for my guys that have partners or in some kind of partnership, it's just, it's like a team effort, right? Where you're 
first analyzing how am I most relaxed? What are really going to, what's really going to optimize what I seek as pleasure in this setting. And that's different for everyone. And I think, you know, it's also okay if you're not having sex five times a day, you know, and I, I just think that what people's expectations are, I think resetting that is so important. What works for one couple is not going to work for another. We're just trying to optimize what does work for, you know, a particular couple and optimizing that. But um, so many times we're thinking about these artificial benchmarks that we feel that we have to hit to have pleasure. And that's just not the case. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the fact that you started with the statistic that 50% of folks over 50 experience erectile dysfunction, I think that's just such an important normalizing piece, right? And sometimes I forget the language you use. Sometimes it's just situational and sometimes it's chronic, but it's normal and it's not the end of the world. Uh, You know, last week we were answering questions from a partner who was dealing with the way their partner responded in terms of erections. So this time it's from the perspective of somebody who gets or doesn't get erections, but we can personalize that. And so the more we have these conversations, the better. I think we're, the medical community is so lucky to have folks like you. I was just reading your resume. I think the fact that you also have that public health background really helps to take a holistic approach and not just, you know, write a prescription and say, here, take two and call me in the morning or don't call me because you won't need me anymore. So really, really appreciate it. Any last thoughts on... ED or reassuring folks who are struggling with erections either at times or more regularly? I really encourage people to talk about it. I think, you know, now that I think people are appreciating that this is not just, you know, a disease of an old man or it's something that talk about it. I really encourage more people to have these discussions. You know, the only way you can address a problem is one admitting you have one potentially. And I think so many people suffer in silence. So I actually get really excited when, um, you know, people come in and it's just like, I've been struggling with this for five years. I finally basically reached my breaking point and now I wanted to see you. And it's like better late than never. You know, of course, five years ago when it started, great time to come in. And I think um, our goal now is to have people thinking about let's address this sooner rather than later, rather than suffering in silence for years or using other modalities of addressing it on their own without just having someone actually say, hey, we could start off with X, Y, and Z. So something for the listeners, please, if you are going to very commonly, you know, there's lots of things at gas stations and other random places that promise that they will give you a good erection. These things often contain usually coffee or caffeine of some kind, but just these weird cocktails, right? And it's just like, that's not what we should be doing. Like this is just like you would address your hypertension. Erectile dysfunction deserves that same, you know, kind of attention and that same um, level of importance from providers. I think as someone who focuses on this, I recognize that a lot of providers don't ask about it. It's awkward for them to even talk about it. So it doesn't come up, but um, I really encourage guys out there, if you think that there's an issue, talk to your doctor about it. If doctor thinks it's an awkward conversation, find a urologist. Some of us specialize in it, some don't, but any urologist I think can at least do a basic workup addressing erectile dysfunction. But please, please don't suffer in silence. It's too important. Everyone, um, you know, this is a big quality of life issue and I'm really determined to, you know, just um, kind of get the word out so that um, people do realize that it's normal and um, there's something you could do about it. Thank you so much for that. Absolutely, folks, get checked. Folks can follow along with Dr. Denise. We'll make sure we link her handle in in the show notes, but it's Denise underscore DDoc, like double D, but we'll make sure we link it there. Uh, And folks can perhaps see you in Chicago starting in a couple of months, but do follow along because there's a lot of info on your Instagram as well. Thank you 
so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing those insights. I hope you inspire people to go get their checkup and also just start talking about it. And thank you for joining us for this conversation all about boners and more. Don't forget to enter to win the WeVibe Touch by writing review or sharing on social and make sure you email info at sexwithdrjess.com so we can make sure you get entered. And of course, if you're looking for some vibrating or non-vibrating goodies, we've got uh, some really great sales going on over at lovehoney.com. So do check them out and use code DrJess10 to save a little extra before that sale is over. Thanks, folks. We'll see and hear from you next week. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Improve your life.